Coming up on this week's episode of Podcast Unlocked, the world's number one Xbox podcast, Cyberpunk 2077 already probably going to last you quite a while. It's going to be a big game, but CD Projekt Red is already talking about how it's going to be even bigger after launch. Plus, the ESRB will help parents uh, be aware of those pesky loot boxes, an interesting rumor related to Mafia, and more coming up on this week's Podcast Unlocked. What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey with you from uh, the, the house. El, you know, my house is your house at this point. Uh, I'm joined, as always, from their homes by Miranda Sanchez. Hello, welcome to my living room. Brandon Tyrell. Hello, welcome to my living room. <laughs> and Destin Bam Legary. Bams are back, baby. <laughs> Glad to have you all here. Oh, my goodness. Another week of Xbox. Uh, thank goodness video games ha have continued in the in all this to, to help keep us sane. Still kind of a quiet news week, but we'll talk about some interesting stuff. Uh, starting with, why not take the opportunity while we're here? little self-promotion, got to do it. Uh, Miranda, every reason to be proud. Really cool Gears of War universe piece that you just put up this week. Can you talk about that a little bit and give people the quick Google instructions on how to find it? Yes, I would love to. Um, I got to do a really great interview with two members of the coalition about kind of the future of Gears of War. And they also gave me a really great asset. It's a complete timeline of everything they have so far for books, comics, and of course games. So it's everything on that timeline and where they take place. And it's really cool because it's getting really granular into like this specific comic and these three are in this moment of time or like in this time period. Um, so it's really neat. Um, and we really dug into kind of how they go about developing new protagonists and how they plan on carrying on the series beyond stories with just Marcus and Kate, because that's obviously a big challenge. Um, I, I specifically called out like some franchises don't really grow well beyond their main stories. Um, and like they have a big challenge with that, like Harry Potter, <laughs> except for Chris Child. That's a great play. But, you know, everything else is like really tough. Like, how do you one question I asked specifically is like, how do you top like the end of the world? Like, how can you possibly tell a story that's better than that? And like, right, how the can raising you... of the stakes? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Bonnie Jima, uh, the franchise narrative director at the coalition had a great answer for that. So I hope you will check it out. Um, if you look up Gears universe or gears lore um ign you should be able to find it pretty easy so yeah the, it's a big interview <laughs> i thought it was what was it, it also served when i read it it served me well as a gears tactic story primer like i actually didn't realize i hadn't known when gears tactics was set that it's set back earlier and that it's uh that it's a diaz so it's kind of a nice primer for uh for jumping into gears tactics if you're going to play that on pc because that's that's out. That's actually two weeks from today that game yeah. is out. We're soon. So that yeah, one's right soon. around the corner. But yeah, awesome job on that, Miranda. That was a Thank really you. fun read. And then uh, I got a look at, for those of you who are Halo fans, Marcus Leto. He was the art director for many, many years at Bungie. He's the, the co-creator of Master Chief himself. He left and started his own studio a couple of years ago called V1 Interactive. And their first game is called Disintegration. Now, Brandon's covered the heck out of it in IGN first. I finally got my own look at the single-player campaign specifically. <clears throat> so uh, if you want to read that preview, you can probably just search IGN Disintegration. And it'll, that'll, since it's newer, that'll most likely be what pops up first. But yeah, it's uh, Brandon, that one's an interesting one. And it is a first-person shooter, but there's a lot of 
uh, strategy elements to it, but but not in a not really in a real time strategy game kind of sense. More in a just like dynamic battlefield. I don't even quite know how to explain it. Sense. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of I don't know if you ever played this series called Brothers in Arms. Yes. Uh, it kind of reminds me of that. There is a lot of it balances the first person shooter aspects because you're in this grab cycle hovering above the ground. Yeah. And you move up and down, left, right, forward, back in a Z axis. Um, and you're firing and shooting and launching abilities, but you're also uh, sort of really intuitively co uh, controlling your troops on the ground and using their abilities. So there's this element of not only are you working with what you've got, but what everyone else around you has. Um, it's this cool juggling act and watching it doesn't really sort of uh, peel back all the different layers in there, playing yeah. it, actually getting your hands on it. It's a much different beast than it looks uh, like it is just watching video. Um, it's really interesting how they've they've sort of pulled both the action elements of first person shooter and the strategy elements of sort of top view turn bait or uh, strategy games. Uh, and, and it's something that's fairly unique. Yeah, and I and I say this uh, not as a criticism or a compliment, but I I thought it was it, you can when you learn that Marcus was the art director uh, oh, that yeah. he's an art director, and you look at Disintegration, and you know that he was at Bungie during the formative years of Destiny. He didn't uh, stick around until it shipped, but you can you can artistically see a lot of the similar science fiction. It has like, they could almost be cousin universes from an artistic view. Yeah. There's this cool sort of almost gritty kind of retro sci-fi feel to it <clears throat> where destiny, I think leans pretty heavily into the, uh, you know, space sci or science fantasy. This definitely has a feel of like aged patina on top of robots. And and I mean, it, it's set in the essentially the apocalypse after a crazy pandemic. Yeah. Uh, you know, how, figure. how yeah. apt. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it does share a lot of the same sort of mechanical or uh, uh, visual guts of Destiny. But it's got this really kind of gritty, dirty sort of blue collar element to it that I like. Yeah. And I thought it was even interesting that there were a couple of other little strange I, similarities isn't maybe the the most fair or right word, but just coincidental funny parallels. Like there there is a player, so the game is played from first person as Destiny is. There is a third person view player hub, like a social area where you can go and hang with people. And it's like that sounds like the tower in Destiny, but it's uh, it's not a you don't go there to set up multiplayer stuff the way the way that you do in Destiny. But I thought. It was still kind of a, and you've got a lot of ro uh, humanoid robot people as well. So there's yeah. some just interesting little little uh, parallels to Destiny from a just sort of not even mechanical, just mostly an aesthetic perspective. But yeah, it seemed pretty cool. It's uh, I'm I'm eager to get my hands on it. Are they also called uh, EXO, Brandon? What? The robot people in Destiny are called EXO. No, they're called. Um... Integrated, I think. Yes. Is that, is that the term? Okay. Yeah. yeah, because you have the naturals. Uh, basically, you have people are they figured out how to transfer your consciousness, consciousness basically yeah. into a yeah. robot body, and there's this faction of people that now want to go back to being human after being robots. So there's a uh, kind of interesting, and in that the story hopefully is going to be is going to be pretty cool. They're saying an eight like eight to ten hour single player campaign. Uh, there's different grab cycles and different. You get you get a different crew on each mission on the strategy side, so yeah, definitely intriguing. I mean, we we 
we talk a lot about, hey, it'd be nice to have a genuinely unique first-person shooter, and this will hopefully uh, fill that need. I, I'm Brandon's played it. I haven't actually played it. I just kind of got a, a, a hands-off demo here in the in the pandemic age of things. But in any case, looking forward to that one. Yeah, uh, and also, it yeah, goes go ahead, without saying, there's also a full multiplayer suite on that as well. Yeah. Uh, team-based 5v5 objective stuff where um, each uh, you, you pick your crew, which is your grav cycle, but also the little squad crew members that you have. And they're all themed. One of them is like the crazy clowns. One of them are like the cybernetic, futuristic DJ kind of hacker style. You know, so they've all got their own cool little aesthetics, but... Each of them plays a little bit differently, sort of like a uh, hero shooter almost or, yeah. or kind of a MOBA. Yeah. Uh, and then the one other quick sort of programming note I wanted to mention here before we move on to the news proper here in just under a minute is uh, Cam. Cam Shea, the editor-in-chief of our IGN Australia team, he took a, a deep dive at Minecraft Dungeons, which, Miranda, I know you've played a little bit and enjoyed. Uh, I've been playing a little bit of the beta as well. And I have to say, again, just at the risk of repeating ourselves from shows past, it's pretty neat. I, I uh, My eight-year-old daughter, was I, she was curious to watch because she's really down the Minecraft rabbit hole right now while we're all stuck at home. But she kind of got she kind of got bored of it because there's no crafting. It's just all killing and looting. But at me as a Diablo fan, I thought it was interesting. So look out for that on IGN yeah. as well. All right, let's talk podcast news. There's plenty of IGN uh, Xbox news to get to. A few things, but they are all of interest. Cyberpunk 2077, my friends, still on track for early September as of now. Uh, I would not place a lot of money on necessarily that release date sticking around because we've seen so many development teams impacted by uh, the, the change in workflow uh, from this now that's that's not at all me saying the game's getting delayed i'm just i'm just saying we'll see what happens they, with it they keep doubling down on it they're they like keep, we're good which is great yeah, they and, have. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that but i'm just saying yeah well <laughs> if, if we'll it see. slips if it slips give them a break don't worry about it but mm -hmm. when it does come out it promises to be a pretty big game however uh there is some major dlc already planned for it and this comes by way of a translation from IGN Poland. So CD Projekt Red President Adam Kaczynski uh, saying that expect expansion sizes to be no less than The Witcher 3. Now, Blood and Wine uh, and Hearts of Stone, they're 40 hours. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's about 40 hours worth of stuff. So that's quite a lot. So uh, now as to when CD Projekt Red is going to talk more about this, Kaczynski told CD Projekt Red investors, this comes from an investor call, says, expect a similar scenario to what we had for The Witcher 3. So um, what do you guys make of this? This is, do you even, I mean, it's it goes without saying that every developer, every publisher wants to extend the life of their game, but there's, <laughs> it's, it's almost like The Witcher 3 stuff was good, but man, who needed, you know, it's, there's already so much there. I needed it. Right. Yes. <laughs> there are plenty of people who are very. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. I think uh, this, this news comes as a very exciting. Welcome. Yeah. yeah. Witcher Three, one of my favorite games of all time, and those expansions 
I mean, the source, the 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 base material in Witcher Three is already amazing, and the expansion material almost seemed to like flesh it out even more. Like there was more personality in there. So, um, I really like. You know, I mean, I like everything that they're saying right now. Like more cyberpunk sounds great. And we already know there's going to be a wait for multiplayer to come online. So right. this might help to bridge some of that gap because the wait's going to be substantial. So, um, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with this at all. Like there's there. This is all good news. Uh, so hearing this news for me, the first thing that I jump to is. I wonder how they're going to implement this DLC. Are there going to be large sections of the the city or the map that aren't unlocked? Are they going to add a place that we go to? And I'm just basing that off how like GTA has handled it in the past. I remember right. back in, I think it was GTA 4, you actually went to a different uh, location and experienced Ballad of Gay Tony. Or am I incorrect in that? Or or did they utilize the same map? Boy, I'm trying to remember now. I I don't recall yeah. Ballad of Gay Tony <laughs> or The Lost and Damned having new content. But now i got to look it up now because okay. the, the so, audience so, is like typing body, furiously yeah. in the so, comments right now. So that was then. I don't, and it was so long ago, I just can't remember off the top of my head. But I'm wondering how they're going to handle it with Cyberpunk. Is it just going to be a new narrative storyline that still takes place within the same city? Are they going to expand the size of the city? Are we going to be able to explore new areas? Uh, what would you guys like to see the most? For me personally, uh, I'll go first. I would love it if they just had a killer storyline within the same world. Maybe maybe like a building becomes unlocked and we have to take out some of the, the corporate types. And I'd be okay with that. That's one way where they could still have the structure there, but maybe it's locked off until they're able to finish the DLC and craft the storyline for that space. I, I'd be okay with that, and I would uh, be really intrigued to see what they do with that, even if it means revisiting old locales with really, really good narrative beats. What about you guys? Miranda, any thoughts? I want a new place to go to. Yeah? My hope is that everything's unlocked like as far as it can be, because obviously yeah. you can't mm -hmm. fill up every single building they have, and there are going to be things you can interact with, but I think it's a little bit more exciting to go to somewhere completely new to discover everything that's different there and not have to revisit places you've probably spent a lot of time in already. Yeah, what do you think that would be? Do you think that would be like a new city, or what, sure. what, what could they like, do? South of the city. I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot that you could do. I don't really know. Obviously, we, ha we haven't played Cyberpunk. We've only yeah. seen demos at E3. So it's mm. kind of hard to say where exactly they would expand to. But I feel like if there's something going on with other cities nearby or something, it could be a nice way to keep going with a different kind of storyline that's exciting, but not going to impact what you're already doing in your city. Somewhere cool. on the outskirts of town. <laughs> yeah. In the suburbs. I did, I did check. <laughs> My memory did hold up. Uh, those two GTA 4 expansions did not feature new geography. They were in the same the okay. same Liberty City. Yeah. So okay. Just, good. Good to it was know. All story. Yeah. All story and missions, and so, they were both very good without did, having to have a new space. What did Project Red do with uh, Blood and Wine? I didn't play that expansion. Like, what was that like? Brandon, you played it, right? Uh, yeah, it was a. <laughs> I'm really protective of Witcher 3 story beats, so I'm not going to get I don't want to know the story. Did they go to a different location? Was it in the same space? How did they handle that aspect of it, design-wise? Uh, little column A, little column B. Okay, so there was new spaces. 
it's just radio silent. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, it's, dude, it's been like five years. I think the care. statute of limitations don't care. is is up. On Everyone people should... are playing it right now. So. That's true. Yeah. That's fair. After we'll after say. the Netflix show, yeah. So that's yeah, fair. that's the thing is after the Netflix show that game sales of The Witcher Three just skyrocketed, and yeah, I don't want to ruin it for anyone. Um, what The Witcher Three does really well is because uh the main story is strong um they really have a chance to kind of play in the gray areas around the main story too so a lot of like the side quests a lot of the expansion stuff that you get kind of takes you in different directions and allows you to play with different tones as well i i think i can't remember if it's blood and wine or hearts and stone one of them is much sillier than the other uh, yeah i forget I, which one it is i can't remember which is which but um yeah i i think for cyberpunk like miranda said we haven't really seen it um, so I don't really know how to answer that question because I don't know what the state of the world is going to be or what the state of the city or the character is going to be by the time that game is over. For me, uh, with DLC, I always like stakes to be raised to tie it back to what Miranda was saying earlier with Gears. So once Cyberpunk 2077 credits roll, you're like, okay, I want to see what the next big thing is or you know, I, I, it's something to be said for like going and exploring the little nooks and crannies, but we don't really know what those nooks and crannies are going to look like yet because no one's played the game. So yeah. I can't, I can't really speculate on whether there's a crazy new corporation that, that, you know, joins the fray for DLC, or if we just go and get some, you know, quieter side stories in the, the dark alleys of the city. I, I don't really know. I mean, and from a, uh, go ahead, Miranda. Oh, sorry for me, just wanting to have another place to go to too is mostly because I'm really selfish and I want to have like another experience to kind of keep what we already have going. Um, yeah. And I know that's asking for a lot too, for DLC. It's like, give me a whole new area, please. Thank you. I mean, it's just like, you really want it to be something that adds on to your experience. It doesn't just like kind of revisit something else with a new story, which can still be really fun but like i said i'm, I'm being a little yeah I'm, ask. I'm glad that destin you brought up gta 4 those two big expansions in, in it mm -hmm. because they're they're great analogs they're you know we're talking about a major quadruple a uh open world game so it can work both ways you know it's uh and these cd project red cyberpunk expansions can work really well just with great story and great new characters and great new missions without necessarily needing a, a new physical space to play around in. Because it's, from a game development perspective, it is very expensive to build new yeah. geometry. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't have numbers, obviously, but it's <laughs> compared to just because, you know, in the expansion, you're going to definitely need new characters, new VO, new story, new missions. But if you have a new space as well, that's that's probably adding maybe as much or more work than the rest of that stuff combined. So it would be it would be quite a tall order. Now the good news is, uh, CD Projekt Red is not constrained by money or time. Really, they've got mm -hmm. plenty of both. So if they do decide, hey, we want one of the, one or more of these DLCs to be set in a totally new place, they'll. They'll build that out. They'll build that into their plan, and they know that they're the odds are that they're going to make their money back on it with the long tail on the game. So, yeah, I agree with you guys. It's going to be interesting. The uh, it, I I admit I admire their honesty, really, of just saying, "Hey, uh, we're going to more or less stick to the Witcher Three plan because that was a plan that worked well for them financially, clearly production wise, but also uh, works for players too. So that's really what it comes down to." 
there. Our next story this week, the ESRB. I know we go from we go from a really boring topic like <laughs> cyberpunk to a riveting, just absolutely gripping topic like the ESRB and ESRB ratings. But uh, there will there will now be warnings for loot boxes right on game packages uh, as part of the the ESRB stuff. So they're they've created an in-game purchases rating label for games, uh, and the label will feature in-game purchases, but the, the label is going to actually say includes random items. That is going to be their terminology. Mm. They say uh, this new interactive element, in-game purchases includes random items, will be assigned to any game that contains in-game <clears throat> offers to purchase digital goods or premiums with real-world currency or with virtual coins or other forms of in-game currency that can be uh, purchased with real-world currency, 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 uh, for which the player doesn't know prior to the purchase of the specific digital goods. Good Lord, this is a horrifically written uh, uh, statement. It's legalese. Right? Yeah, yeah, you guys yeah. get where I'm going with this. Basically, but... if you don't know what's in it by the time you buy it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, now, you might be wondering, well, why not just straight up call it loot box why not use that phrase the gaming industry knows that phrase well that was actually exactly the esrb's point they they more or less said it's kind of an insider term they said uh loot mm. box is a widely understood phrase in and around the video game industry and among dedicated gamers but most people less familiar with games do not understand it well the my mom would, would not understand that that's a yeah, good point and, and that's yeah. and that's exactly the point and that's who the the, by and large, the ESRB ratings are for. Mm -hmm. For sure. You got to remember, like, we're so in this bubble of gamer culture that to us, loot box is just a term everybody knows, right? Go ask anybody in my extended family who doesn't play video games what that is, and they're not going to know what you're talking about. And, and that's the majority of people. And the ESRB has the challenge of communicating what these things are clearly and plainly to the mass audience and not just the gamer audience. Because this is, this is mostly protecting grandmothers and moms and uh, people that aren't as versed in the gaming space to be informed when they're making their purchase decisions for their children and uh, other people in their family. Uh, that's what I think the goal is anyway. What about you guys? I think you're totally right. And it's just sort of ironic that if you're trying to cleanly communicate to mainstream that aren't familiar with games, read them that sentence and see what happens. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I really, well, really. The, the label only says in-game purchases. So right. and that communicates. No one will ever uh, read that sentence again. And now, well, like now we heard it here purchases and with random it. elements or something, yeah. right? What, what is it? There's a there's a bit in parentheses that says in-game purchases now with 100% more RNG or whatever it yeah. says on there. Um, I think, it, I, yeah, it's great. I mean, let's be honest. We all know a dozen people who were probably too young to be playing a game rated M for mature. So I'm not exactly sure how effective the ESRB ratings are outside of... Um, outside of sort of covering it from a legal standpoint, like the people who use it, I'm, I think this is going to be great and helpful. I mean, if that informs your purchasing decision, that's great. I don't know how much sort of traction you're going to get with something like this when we already have the, the rating system as it is, and it goes largely, un or largely ignored. I mean, you say that, but you don't, 
we can't really say how many people actually do or don't use it because again it comes down to that's just being used by people who aren't necessarily in the game space or really understand a whole lot so some dad going out there doesn't know anything about video games is looking at a game but does know that they can look at this label to see what it's rated for and why it's rated that way Mm -hmm. and that's helpful and that's why it exists totally i I 100 agree with that video game ratings are not as prevalent as movie ratings like everyone knows what a rated r movie is nobody or not nobody i shouldn't say that um far fewer people know what m a video game rated m means you know i don't know if i agree with that but maybe well again we're in this video game space so sure but it says m for mature on the box usually Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know what it is and i guess more more and more game trailers are using the quick little this product is rated m for mature at the beginning of a trailer although it does that's My brain the law. Is telling me it's not universal, though, is it? Maybe it maybe it is, and I've just tuned it out at this point. That, that's the law, depending on your territory, I think, because mm-hmm. y- you'll see. The I know Peggy the ESRB. Stuff. Yeah, Peggy has it. I know ESRB has to be at the front of trailers, and that was back when I did uh, community management for a, a dev back in two thousand, like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. When I started IGN, 2011, so 2010, <laughs> 2010, the law was you had to have the ESRB up for three to four seconds at the beginning okay. of your trailer. So they probably expanded upon that. So if you're marketing an M for mature title, you probably need the bump. Like I know GTA was like rated M for mature, and then they yeah, just go into their ad. There's an audio requirement to it as well. Yeah, you have some experience in that space, right, PT? Yeah, but it's been, I mean... Yeah, it's like been it's been a decade for me, so it's hard to recall. Now, the, I mean, the other, the other little challenge of sorts to this is that more and more games are being purchased digitally, and the retail, uh, the box is just physically less prevalent. It, it, because, you know, I'm sure even parents are buying more digital games for, uh, for kids and, and on the storefront, so it becomes sort of the the onus gets put on Sony and on Microsoft and on Nintendo to to face that stuff prominently on the on the digital storefront pages as well. That that's a really good point. I think this is good that it's going to be labeled. I don't think people realize how many games actually have this mechanic in them. Yeah. I'm hard pressed to think of a game that does like fewer and fewer games don't have this mechanic. Does Final Fantasy VII have anything in it that has that utilizes any sort of structure like this? I don't think so. I don't think. I, no, are there Resident any Evil, microtransactions in I'm it? R- Resident Evil Resistance does, for example, like the the PvP space. I, I believe. Don't quote me on that. I'll have to Google that. But I remember there were like hero enhancements or something in that game. Um, so yeah, there's just this is all over the place. So this is going to be pretty common on a lot of game titles. I'm going to look up that resistance thing. <laughs> yeah, I will say that the ESRB stuff on digital pages are pretty prevalent. Like good, okay, it's, it's very easy to find that. Very glad to hear that. I'm, uh, no. yeah, it does. I mean, the, when I think about it too, I do feel like maybe the the community has forced publishers to to back off a little bit like i feel like we don't have as many gross disgusting predatory loot box conversations on this show anymore the way we did even like two years ago since yeah. since the battlefront loot box thing yeah i think that was I like a major point for it as far as like turning points of just how gross and aggressive it was and how 
I think there's a long time where people are like, hey, you can you have to make sure that these things do not impact someone's game. Like this can't be a, a pay to win situation. It can't be a way to get around something that's important. And it was that. So I think it's it's good that it's not good that it happened, but it's good that it's changed. Would it be apathy or empathy? The fact that it's just so common that we're just like, Ugh, I don't want to talk about well, it. That's anymore. apathy there. That's, that's apathy. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I feel about it. I think yeah, it's just a like, of, yeah. A lot of them don't feel as predatory. If anything, it's just annoying. Cause it's like, I just want to buy this one skin. Just let me buy it, please. Right. <laughs> that's usually yeah. what it comes down to. But for the most part, I think stores are getting a little bit better at it, especially if there is like a game that was really bad about however it's trying to sell its skins or whatever it may be for cosmetics. Um, and if the community has like some, some things to say about it, usually you will see something change, which is good. Yeah. I talked to when I, when I, uh, before the world ended and I was able to valve <laughs> for the IGN first on half-life Alex, actually, uh, during the IGN unfiltered interview that I did with Robin Walker, who's, uh, the creator of team fortress two. He also is a designer and programmer on half-life Alex, but obviously team fortress two, with the hats, it was hats. a huge, uh, you know, one of the one of the earliest sort of uh, microtransaction-y games. And we talked about that. And I asked him, like, kind of, what do you think of the state of microtransactions in the in the industry today? And I mean, he had a, a very good gamer-friendly answer, which is, hey, let's just make sure we're we're giving people what they want without uh, forcing anything upon them or or being uh, muddy about it. So. You know, it does feel like publishers being big corporations that want money, they were going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing until finally, to your guys's point, it was Battlefront 2 seemed to be where the community said, that's it. That's it. That's the line. Yeah. Back up. And and I feel like hopefully we're, that's the sort of place we've we've drawn the line in the sand now on uh, on this. So there you go. ESRB talk on Unlocked. This rating's gold. We did it. <laughs> we did it. Uh, finally, this week on the news side, uh, just a quick one. This was actually left over from last week when we had a much busier show, but thought this was worth a mention for one specific reason. So Mafia 2 and Mafia 3 Definitive Editions have been rated by the Taiwan Digital Game Rating Committee. This comes, the, the, the citation for this is a tweet from a, the Twitter user Nibelian, which links to the website oh, yeah. of the ratings board where the games were found to be registered by Take-Two Asia, uh, PTE LTD, and I'm guessing uh, PTE is some sort of sort of regional designation. Uh, I'm not quite sure exactly what, but it, I bring this up because, you know, again, we, we even, I remember Destin last week, we talked about the rumors will, will cover and the rumors will not, but I bring this one up because... It's uh, when when usually when it's a ratings board from somewhere around the world, those generally tend to be real. Those generally tend to come to fruition. Yeah, I mean, they have to disclose that they're creating these things. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, they have a little bit more credence because there's been a, like a, a filing for their product. So, yeah, I see why you bring it up. Uh, <laughs> Brandon was the mafia guy, though. Uh, Wait, I played what? a bit for of Mafia three. three. Yeah, you played three. it. Like uh, you played through it, right? No, I did. Oh, really? I, I did an IGN. No, I, I think Marty did the review, but I did the IGN first for it, and I did um, 
some content around it. And I enjoyed what I played, but what I heard from people who played that game through was that it suffered from sort of repetition. Like what they had was really, really good. There was just chunks of it recycled over and over and over. I just read the plot synopsis and skipped to the ending. And wow, that game goes somewhere. Yep. <laughs> the, the thing, I won't uh, ruin it for you in case you're going to play it. Yeah, I only play Yeah, I guess if it's going to come back around, it's better for, for us to not ruin it. But mm-hmm. the, what I remember, I actually only ended up playing a little bit uh, in, in, a, in a preview opportunity. But what I remember most is the the whole mechanic that you could feed people to the alligators in the swamps. Yeah, yeah you'd, you'd kill someone or knock someone out and then throw them in a swamp. And uh, nature takes its course. <laughs> you got gatored, son. Oh, yeah. boy. Gator done. Wow. Come on. Nothing? You guys, come on. I had a Larry the Cable Guy reference in 2020? Yeah. Yeah, that just happened. Uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, you know, the, the sorry, the Taiwanese Digital Game Rating Committee Council, yes. the TGRC, um, definitely lends some credence to it. But I think also the fact that we're seeing a million remasters and remakes these days as a way to sort of bridge the gap until the next generation of consoles. Um, as we see sort of every console generation. So I think that adds a lot of credence to it as well. Um, and, you know, I think mafia two was a beloved game. I didn't personally play it, but mafia three um, certainly had its own style and its own followers. So packaging those together as a remaster seems like a, I don't know if it's an easy win, but it's a smart win. Well, we don't we don't know if they'll be packaged together. They were both rated. Oh, okay. We have no idea, you know, how they might come up, come about. But yeah, I'm glad you you brought up Mafia too. I so I reviewed that for OXM. That tells you how long ago yeah. that one was. I gave it an eight, as I recall. And what I remember about that game that game is it was it was a first of all a beautiful game. Like the the art direction, the art, the color palette. It was a just beautifully art directed game uh you the way the sunlight would filter through the the like 1940s windows and the buildings and you know know it sounds kind of trite now but again this is back on i guess maybe the middle middle to latter part of the 360 era but it's a really beautiful game and uh but what what it's downfall for me what real well downfall what held it back from real real awesomeness was it was this pretty cool open world but there just wasn't much to do with it to do to do in it there was the main story which you just go from place to place and go where they told you to but there just wasn't a lot of open world activities that you could do so you know that i i would love to see that addressed if they're going to bring it back but i i suspect you know if it's if it's just a uh, a remaster they're probably not going to touch the content at all uh and just sort of bring the game itself back which i'd be curious to take a look out look at it now with a fresh coat of paint i mean if, it, if they can get it running and looking nicely in 4k sure let's have a go let's see let's see what's doing uh, yeah but even even by today's standards though i mean there are there are publishers who do the open world game. I mean, look at Ubisoft, right? Like they can True. turn anything into an open world game. They will find a way. They will find <laughs> a way. Um, 
don't know. It makes me nervous because Mafia 3 had the exact same. I didn't think about it until you were describing Mafia 2. Yeah. Mafia 3 had the exact same problem, which was their recreation of New Orleans, uh, New Bordeaux, I think it was called. Correct. Yeah. Very beautiful, super detailed. Um, <clears throat> but you would just drive long stretches of city blocks without you know, you see the same five people. Like, oh, it's the girl with the yellow top and the man in the brown suit, you know? Um, so I, I don't know if that's going to be addressed. And by today's standards, I worry that it's going to feel even more empty and even mm. more vacant than good point. it was when it was released. A good point. Although I, w- I do have to add, just for historical fairness, your point stands, but Mafia 2 and Mafia 3 were done by totally different development teams. Fair. Uh, of course, Hangar, Hangar, Hangar 13... 13. Yeah. picked up uh, Mafia with three, and it was the original developer of the first two games. And Illusion Softworks, if memory corrects, uh, is if my memory stands. And they were based out of somewhere in Eastern Europe. I want to say maybe like Czech Republic or, yeah, they were, they were a European developer, but very talented team. Uh, I would be, I, I would actually, I wonder, I wonder if the, like the first game, as I remember, I'm remembering the first game now too, the first one was really good, and it was uh, more of a like linear. It had a, I, I feel like it had the best story of of the three. Again, not having played much of the third one, but uh, yeah, two was really good. I, you're right, though. I, it's going to be interesting to see how it holds up in 2020. And this actually reminds me of one other remaster related topic for you guys, because Brandon, what something you said made me think about this. I want to see what you guys think here. Uh, we saw so many remasters. We railed about it on this show, by and large, in the early part of this generation, which I cannot believe it's that's like five, six, seven years ago now. Uh, yeah. We complained a lot on this show about just it was remaster, remaster, remaster at the beginning of the generation. And I feel like that went away and we finally got into new, proper new current gen games. But now I feel like to your point, Brandon, it back. remasters are coming around again. It's almost as if publishers now have seen because that that hey, we can kind of use these as generational bridges, mm-hmm. fi- financially speaking. Uh, it's not to say they don't serve a creative interest. Again, you, you get players that never played the original. Okay, well, absolutely, but, and especially when they're done like Resident Evil two and three, right? Where it's not just well, a fresh coat of paint. Oh, yeah, like that's remakes. different. Though. Yeah, that's a full on remake. Yeah. which which I'm all for. I think those remake yeah. remakes are great when they're done well, as Capcom has. But I, but yeah, remasters of, seem just beginning of the gen, and now they're coming around again. Beginning of the gen, they they felt not great. Like they felt very rushed, and they just they weren't as good as they could have been. And I think now they're spending more time on them and making them correctly. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with the, the remasters, definitely the remakes, like you said, Ryan, that we've been getting. Mm-hmm. Can you give me some examples of the ones at the beginning of gen versus end of gen? Well, let's see, put me on the spot off the top of my head. Basically anything Capcom was releasing. I was just going to say, yeah, <laughs> we I had mean, an unlock. It feels yeah. like we had an unlock segment there for four or five months where it was like, what is Capcom remastering this week? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they it were. Was, it was um, Mickey Castle of Illusion. Uh, there was Ducktales. There was. Oh yeah. Oh, Ducktales. I, I don't know if those are remasters so much as they like, were. I think. Yeah. Ports. I don't. I don't know what the terminology we're gonna 
Nah, right. they're widescreen, so it counts. Yeah, there there were some Resident Evil just straight port ups before yep. they got into the the proper doing what they're up to now. But that's yeah, that's Capcom, and then you had uh, boy, yeah, just there there were a lot of just that just kind of came and went um, that I'm now of course completely blanking on. But uh, it's it was a it was a thing, and then it went away, and now it's back. So I wonder how long into the Series X generation we're gonna see more remasters before uh, before we move on. But yeah, all if, right. if oh, I'm sorry, you ready oh, to move on? No, go ahead. We're running short on time. Make that final point. Do it. Final point is just like it seems like one of the ingredients in the masonry. Uh, we're gonna mix our metaphors here pretty hard. It feels like one of the ingredients in the masonry that like holds console generations together right like last gen next gen and then there's this weird overlap period at the end of one gen and and into the next gen where you get a lot of remasters you get a lot of like double a games you get a lot of double i and triple i if you want to use that term as well so like you know as everyone is ramping up to support a new generation then you have more stuff bubble up to sort of bridge that financial gap i think good point yes indeed all right, loot box. Let's finish strong with a loot box and an unlock block trivia segment. This uh, loot box question comes to us from the gamer tag Madrid knows all one word Madrid knows. And on this very topic, this is an amazing segue. You're welcome. I'm a good host. No, I'm not really. It's just this is actually purely a coincidence. You're a great host. <laughs> You're the remaster. Uh, <laughs> nice. Madrid knows says remakes slash remasters <laughs> seem to have been on the rise like Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 campaign remastered, which coming to Xbox <laughs> in two something weeks, two and a half weeks. Um, anyway, he says, the question I propose to you in the panel is name one game due for a remake or remaster and one that's perfect the way it is and doesn't need to be touched. My example would be, sorry, Ryan, I took yours is a remaster of all the Splinter Cell games in one collection. Uh, you're all amazing. Hope everyone is safe and healthy during these times. So I thought, excellent Wait, question here. Name one game I choose the entirety of the Splinter Cell series? <laughs> I'll allow it. I'm, okay, I'm, all right. I'll allow it. play by those same rules. Fine. So, uh, all right. I'll, I'll go first real quick since, since, uh, <laughs> since that one. I would have said Splinter Cell, but I'll say... Uh, uh, inside as a game that will never need to be touched from a remaster perspective just you you couldn't improve it visually and even uh, even when we get to 8k resolution in two generations from now i, I think it's still gonna look <laughs> it's still gonna look just as good uh and then i'll go super cult classic for a game i would like to see remade and brought back original xbox exclusive by the name of breakdown which is a video game, first-person, amazing sci-fi story. It was mostly melee. It was first-person melee. There was some shooting in it, but it was the shooting was not well done. That would need to be patched up and fixed. But um, the story would hold up to this day totally. And I feel like even the gameplay, general game, general gameplay, would too. So that's my pick. Miranda is was either swatting a fly or raising her hand. I'm not sure which. I'm trying to fix my camera focus, but <laughs> I am ready, and I'm excited that it went to be first so I could take this one. Hopefully, Dustin wasn't going to say it. Mass Effect. Please. I, <laughs> Mass Effect. 
it could I use... wasn't gonna say it because okay. I say it all the time. So. Yeah, it could use a little <laughs> yeah. help. Like I, I love that game so much and the story is great. It just needs it needs a little fine tuning. Like there's just some stuff there that doesn't really work as well anymore. Um I think a little bit of a remaster would go a long way for it for them just to fix a few things, buff it up a little. Be nice. I love it. The, let let the rumors live on. I am so with <laughs> Rat Mass Effect remake. What's really funny is speaking of our uh, going back to our other conversation, this is a perfect time for Bioware to do it, right? Because oh, Anthem is kind of on the rocks. Absolutely. And, and Dragon Age, we're not going to see for three years. So probably right yeah. there, just slot it right in there. You could not be more right. I mean, it's it would it would be it would also it would also uh, be some goodwill for EA and Bioware as well after after uh, the. You know that they have they have taken it on the chin from from the the gaming public, so that would be a good way to win some trust back for sure. Yeah, I'd love to play that again in yeah. a easier way in a modern setting. Uh, some one game I guess I'll choose one that would not need to be touched, and I would like it to be untouched forever is Undertale. Uh, nice. The graphics for it are kind of weird, and they're actually really pretty in some points. Like some settings are super pretty. Um, but I think if you change anything about that game, it would it would lose something. So I think it's good. Brandon, what do you got? I'm keeping it Xbox centric, and I know that no one was going to choose this. So um, I would love to see remasters of original Xbox exclusives. There's a series called Kingdom Under Fire, and I talk about it all the time. Look at you! It's, it's basically uh, the way I describe it to people is you know the big battle in the Lord of the Rings. It's that the video game. Yeah. Whether you're talking Helm's Deep or Minas Tirith, doesn't matter. Uh, orcs versus elves and stuff, and you they just armies slash. And it's it's basically Dynasty Warriors, but set in sort of high fantasy Middle Earth esque stuff. There were there were two of them, right? There were two. Yeah, it was Kingdom Under Fire on the original Xbox, and I believe it was Kingdom Under Fire Heroes also on the original Xbox. Then there was a third game called uh, Kingdom Under Fire: Cir Circle of Doom, which turned it into like a third person action RPG kind of thing, which I wasn't a big fan of. Um, and now Kingdom Under Fire 2 just came out and it's a full-blown MMO, which I uh, I think they got too far away from the original formula. But um, yeah, give me the give me KUF and KUF Heroes and remaster those bad boys for the Xbox One X. And I am I'm there day one. Nice. What do you think is should be untouched forever? So I was going to say Limbo, but you already said Inside. Just you because can go with Limbo. I think aesthetically and stylistically, those games, I mean, as long as you can run them as they came out, they'll never need to be retouched. Yeah. Um, they're like great comics or cartoons or, or anime. or Paintings. Movies. Yeah, like paintings, like an interactive painting. Yes. Uh, <laughs> video games, interactive paintings. <laughs> Desperate. Uh, oh, but sorry. I think you got to get another one? Yeah, I think uh, because I, you know, I was so in love with the uh, Xbox Live Arcade. I think anything the Behemoth did really can stand on its own. Castle Crashers, um, there's that studio just really nailed their look and their tone, and um, those games can live on as is forever. Nice, good answer, Destin. What do you got? The game that never needs to be touched is The Legend of Zelda: Wind Waker HD. They've already remastered They've already it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, real answer, uh, Grand Theft Auto V. I think the single-player campaign of that is fantastic. They've already touched it up for PC, so I think that one can can live on in perpetuity. Uh, also, Breath of the Wild could also uh, just stand on its own. Games yeah. that I think could benefit from remasters or uh, touch-ups, at least, 
Demon Souls, I'd love to see come back with multiplayer component. I'd love to see Super Mario RPG, one of my personal favorites. Ooh, good one. Specifically the one on the Super Nintendo. I would love to see that modernized. Dustin, uh, you're supposed to what? pick one. <laughs> Metal Gear, Metal Gear on the Christ. NES. One and two, that actually explores the story of Big Boss. I think Konami has like a gold mine there that they're not touching on. And I was going to say Mass Effect, but it's totally fine. <laughs> Miranda took it from me because I say Mass Effect all the time. <laughs> Love it. Uh, all right, let's quickly do trivia here. This is a good one. Oh, wait, dang it. I did not write down this person's name. I do that sometimes, and I feel really bad. Uh, Dr. Halsey. Try to, try to credit question. next week. <laughs> According to Dr. Halsey's journal, which was included in physical form in the box set for Halo Reach, what member of Blue Team, we were talking about Blue Team last week on the show, what member of Blue Team a, these are just facts. They're, these aren't the choices. So, eluded the recovery slash kidnapping team because the Spartan thought it was a game for their birthday and only came out of hiding because they were bored. Also, took the clippers from the barber when they tried to shave the Spartan's head, and it took several soldiers to restrain them, and also was the fastest Spartan. So, those are facts about the Spartan. Who was it? Was it A, Linda 058, Spartan 058? Kelly 087, Fred 104, or our friend John 117. I'm going to go Brandon's way first. Kelly, B, final answer. Destin. It's Kelly. Miranda. I was also going to say Kelly. Kelly's a badass. I don't know if yeah. you guys knew this. Yeah, good uh, job. This is Everybody also from the books. Right. This is also Yay. from the books. She's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, yes. what's funny is the, uh, God, what was it though? The Reach Collector's Edition came with a version of Halsey's journal. Mm hmm. That thing is so cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Good job, guys. Uh, and everybody gets a point. I will tally those. And that will wrap it up for this week's edition of Podcast Unlocked. You can follow, follow me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. I told you about the disintegration thing I did at the top of the show. Uh, Destin, what do you got? Follow me on Twitter at Destin Laguerre. I just manage time <laughs> and projects. <laughs> That's manager. all I do. Yes. Yeah. Miranda. <laughs> Hi, you can follow me at Havoc Grossens, Havoc with a K. Sorry, my camera keeps freaking out. Um, on Twitter, Instagram, and pretty much everywhere else, I am just working on cleaning up a lot of guides and getting those assigned. Please use our guides. Thank Love you. Love it. Brandon. Hey, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Tyrell. I am uh, currently working on our big summer of gaming event that is going to kick off soon. So stay tuned for that. Great stuff. All right. Thank you, everybody. We will see you all again next week.